This is Killstreak. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. Episode 90 of Killstreak. Price and I were once again listening to the Florida Marlins Scott Stapp song. Marlins will soar. Marlins will soar. And if you're not familiar with that, we put it at the end of one of our episodes. I don't remember which. Uh, do you? Um, No, but it was like four or five episodes ago. Yeah, six. something like yeah. that. This is Killstreak, episode 90. <laughs> I am Eric Goslin. Uh, this is Mike Price. Joining me here, he's sleeping in my basement. It's finally happening. It's finally happening. It was Last a big tease. We, we teased it that uh, Mike will be staying in my basement, but we'll be watching The Exorcist 2. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. No yeah. the in front of The Exorcist. Um, and we would watch it together and then record the next day. Well, that didn't happen, no. but he's here now. And I'm going to sleep here tonight. He is. We might watch a movie. Yeah. Probably will. Yeah, I hope so. Might watch John Carpenter's Vampires. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Or something else. We'll see. We'll see uh, what strikes us. So, this is a fitfully loopy opening for uh, a real, real crazy-ass movie. Oh, yeah. I forgot to ask you. How's your third week of No Nut November going? <laughs> I am sweating cum. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? Yes, I, I, maybe a euphemism. <laughs> I'm sweating sperm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Spermazoa? Is that what it's? Spermatozoa. Spermatozoa. Or spermatozoa. I don't know the pronunciation but there's an at in there i'm sorry this is a uh, we're only like we're two minutes into the podcast and i'm already i dropped the cum bomb <laughs> my Luck, luckily my, you replaced it with sperm my mic does it sound bad it sounds fine. i'm gonna let's stop this down i want to listen it sounds fine it's normal it sounds normal to me yeah um yeah okay this is a weird one to like not want to talk about. We have to, we'll save our blood and guts check, I guess. To the I next think there segment. are some things that we can. Okay, just to so get too. through the first segment, can we? Okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Perhaps would not for us, but for the movie. Yeah, I actually have a way. I think we can broach this conversation. Okay, great, perfect. Uh, I was thinking about doing this beforehand, and then you know those gems over at Wikipedia—they've really assembled, done most of the hard work for me already. So, anybody who doesn't know about The Exorcist Two, sorry, Exorcist Two colon The Heretic, yeah, has to know that it is a famously hated film. Yeah, it is along the same lines as um, Halloween Three when it was first released. I would say the backlash against it was equally, yeah. if not more so. I briefly assembled just the highlights of the worst reviews oh, wow. of, of, of this movie. I, I also want to say, if you haven't seen this movie, I, this is the first time Mike and I both watched it. Yeah. Just because I, we avo- I avoided it just because I heard it was terrible. Um, if you haven't seen it, I think you should go watch it. I kind of do. Like, I, I our, our talking about it isn't going to do it any justice. And that's exactly why. It's going to be fun for people who have seen it mm-hmm. to kind of have that go through this conversation with us. 
But we are not going to be able to like it's walk a, you through the exorcism. Yeah, too. it's like a real it's an experience. It truly is. So I think just for that you should probably watch it if yeah. you haven't. Yeah, and I think, you know, so we'll talk about these bad reviews in a second. The other thing I was going to say that I think we can probably come out and say, which I haven't talked to you about it, but I assume this is true, without giving any qualitative statement saying it's good, bad in the middle. This movie is very crazy. It's I texted you 20 minutes into watching it with this movie is wild. Yes. And it only got more wild from it, there. Yes. Yeah. So I think we can lay those cards on the table. Yes. That this is just a wild fucking movie. I, I even think that I was not properly um, prepared for how wild it was. I was not at all. I, I thought it was just going to be straight up terrible. Yeah. I just thought it was going to be bad. Yeah. And we will get there. Is it bad? We'll discuss that after the break. But right now, let's talk about what the critics had to say. Sure. Okay. Mm. Um, BBC says, Exorcist 2 is demonstrably the worst film ever made. (laughs) Uh, He goes on to describe it as farcically stupid and on another level, absolutely unforgivable. Everyone involved with this is, apart from Linda Blair should be ashamed for all eternity. Mm. Wow. Um, Gene Siskel said, this is the worst major motion picture I've seen in almost eight years on the job. Uh, John Simon said, there's a strong probability that Exorcist 2 is the stupidest major movie ever made. (laughs) Uh, Jack Lewis said, it is all too ludicrous to frighten and the only time you're likely to hide your head will be in shame from watching it. Wow. Um... Ruth Batchelor said, I never thought I'd appreciate Billy Friedkin because I didn't like The Exorcist, but Exorcist 2, The Heretic, makes the original look like Citizen Kane. <laughs> uh, Bernard Drew of the San Bernardino Sun, you know, big paper. Uh, it is ridiculously, hopelessly confused and completely incomprehensible. Uh, another critic called it a stupid and useless film whose mere existence is difficult to justify. <laughs> um... Michael Medved called it a thoroughly wretched piece of work. Leonard Malton called it preposterous and said the special effects are the only virtue in this turkey. And finally, the director of The Exorcist, William Friedkin, said, I looked at a half hour of it and I thought it was as bad as seeing a traffic accident in the street. It was horrible. It's just a stupid mess made by a dumb guy. John Borman. (laughs) This is the quote. John Borman is his name. Someone who should be nameless, but in this case, will be named. Scurrilous. A horrible picture. And later on called it the worst piece of crap I've ever seen and a fucking disgrace. Wow. I was actually... I just flipped to uh, the John Stanley book to see Uh what he gave it. One star. Uh Uh-huh. An absolute fiasco directed by John Borman. Audiences laugh this hunk of junk off the screen and it deserved debasing. Emerging as an unintentional parody. Richard Burton as a priest assigned to investigate the death of Father Karras uh, overplays to absurdity. And Louise Fletcher as psychiatrist probing the mind of Reagan is amateurish. Man. More mumbo-jumbo than most witch doctors here in a lifetime. Uh, Talking about James Earl Jones. The only good thing about this failure are the cinematographer. Oh, that's actually a good point. Mm. It's a cool-looking movie. It is. In some parts. Anyway. So one star. It, it's almost hard to imagine we could watch this movie now, forty almost forty years on, and not or sorry, fifty 
almost 50 years on. Yeah. 45. 45 years. With That is such a low bar to clear <laughs> in terms of evaluation. Like this... Um, with those reviews, this would truly have to be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Yes. To be deserving of that criticism. Now, we will get there. We will get there. But I, I just wanted to sort of set the stage with that. Um, so you mentioned William Friedkin. Uh, I'm going to play a clip <laughs> okay. that I found that I was going to play in between segments, but I think it also yeah, play fits it well here. And this is him describing the first public screening and now I'm going to tell you the story of the first screening of Exorcist 2, the sneak preview in Pasadena. This was Exorcist 2, and it was told to me by an executive of Warner Brothers, because this, the executive said, oh, you got to come out to, to see the sneak preview. It's really terrific, and uh, you're going to love it. You're a grandfather. You should be proud. And... I said, no, I think I'll miss it. And then afterwards, he told me the story. These Warner Brothers executives drove out to Pasadena in their big limousines. And uh, they were all dressed up. And they went into the theater, which was packed, turnaway crowds. And they went and sat in the last row. And about 10 minutes into the film, now, before they went into the theater, they told their um, limo drivers, look, we're going to be in there for like two hours and 20 minutes, so, or maybe more. You guys go on down the end of the block. There were some fast food joints. They went down to get a cup of coffee, whatever. So the limos are gone. The executives go into the last row. Ten minutes into the picture, a guy stood up in the audience. He stood up and he looked around and he said, the people who made this piece of shit are in this room. <laughs> and, and somebody else said, where? Where are they? Ten or twelve people get up and he says, they're all back there. Now, these guys got up, the heads of the studio, they got up, they ran out of the theater, they get outside, no cars, the cars are all down at McDonald's and all that, and they were chased down the street. That was, that was the first public reaction to Exorcist 2. Yeah, so... According, I mean, who knows if that's apocryphal, but sure, it's uh, either way. I mean, that's a reaction. It is, and it, it seems to be in keeping with how everyone responded to this movie when yeah. it came out. Um, what did you know about John Borman before you saw this movie? <clears throat> before I saw this movie, I'd only seen Deliverance. Okay, I'd never seen Zardoz, which is uh, something that like uh, my college girlfriend was obsessed with that movie just by how ridiculous it was and sure. always tried to get me to watch it. I just never did. For those that are unfamiliar, that's the one where uh, Sean Connery is wearing like a red loincloth, yeah, essentially. Yeah, like a cod piece yeah. like thing. Yeah, it's and weird. he has a little space gun, but he's yeah. standing in the desert. I've never seen it either. kind of want to. Maybe we watch it tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Um, and then after I watched this, I watched Point Blank. I had seen that before. And I, I got to say, Deliverance is and Point Blank are both awesome. They're really f good. I've never seen Deliverance, but I did like Point Blank quite a bit. I've also seen Excalibur. I never saw that. Which yeah. is kind of boring, 
decent. Okay. I, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting movie, certainly. I, I will say, um, Deliverance isn't as disjointed as uh, this movie is, certainly. Sure. Um, but Point Blank is also pretty avant-garde in, in its, uh, in its yeah. structure. Yeah. Um, so I could see, like... Okay, I can kind of see what his intentions may have been with this movie. Right. Anyway, that's that's my, uh, my the two John Borman movies I'd se- I've seen. Okay. Um, yeah. Other than this one. So, um, I think when this movie, so, uh, you one must come to the conclusion, rightfully, that this is a movie that was birthed by the studio, not by mm-hmm. any great creative driving force. Mm-hmm. Um, cause William Friedkin, director of the first one, completely uninvolved in its production. William Peter Blatty, writer, completely uninvolved. Neither one of them wanted anything to do with the creation of this movie. Uh, which is a familiar story, right? We, sure. We yeah. hear that, I think, pretty often that, you know, the especially with these, like, very, uh, specific, um, men of... Uh, what's what's like our tours, I guess. Yeah, or just you know serious filmmakers, writers, creators like William Peter Blatty, and to a certain degree William Friedkin. Although, you know, there are lots of people who accuse him of being a little bit um, of a blunt instrument, maybe yes, at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but basically, the producers were just like, "Hey, Exorcist has made a bajillion dollars. We will, of course, make a sequel," and initially. Their approach was kind of standard. I think they wanted to spend less money even than they spent on the first one. Uh, they wanted to just have a similar story take place again. Let's get a let's get a, a possessed girl or young boy. Let's get a priest in there. Let's do some exercising. Mm-hmm. Um, so they commissioned this guy named William Goodhart, who was a playwright. To write the screenplay, which he called The Heretic. Uh, and instead of giving them what they asked for, he wrote... Oh, excuse me. Uh, he wrote a, a script that ultimately uh, attracted the attention of John Borman. Um, which I had a quote from Borman here uh, when he was talking about the initial script. And now, of course, I've misplaced it because I have to read it right now. Um, Eric Vamp, 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 Vamp. Um, uh, 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 oh God, I did eight, eight, eight years of improv just for this. Oh no, fucker. Um, um, was it? Uh, was it essentially like what? I, I know there was a lot of rewrites after the fact. Oh yeah, I but mean, I wonder if it's general conceit of like hypnosis being the main thrust. Was. Well, it was no. I mean, it was like it was crazy. It was sounded very kind of up its own ass if i'm being honest but it was about like good and evil in the catholic church um okay here we go i found it um so it was uh based around the theories of pierre tellard de jardin de chardin oh yes a, yes the jesuit paleontologist who inspired father Marin. got it uh it took a metaphysical and intellectual approach uh to tackling the battle between good and evil and how it's centered on human consciousness with the idea that within the framework of Catholic theology, 
human consciousnesses could be brought together as one through technology, although this would result in conflict between those who sought good and evil. Wow. And apparently Borman was on board. He was like, well, that sounds very interesting. I would love to make that film. (laughs) (laughs) They did not succeed in making that film. No. Um, It it also attracted Linda Blair, who said it was like one uh, an amazing script initially. Yeah. Um, Ellen Burstyn, on the other hand, wanted nothing to do with this movie. Right. Uh, So she was not quite recast. (laughs) But but, I mean, so we have uh, the biggest new characters we have in this movie are Louise Fletcher. Nurse Ratchet. (laughs) Yes, Dr. Tuscan. Nurse Ratchet, who she just won an Oscar for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And when this movie started... And and she was on screen early. I was like, Ellen Burstyn looks a little different. Yes, I thought the same thing, yeah. too. And I wasn't like, wait, Ellen Burstyn looks crazy different. I was like, she looks a little different. Yeah, even my like my wife, I showed uh, her a clip after the fact. She's like, oh, the mom's back? Like, no, it's not her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then kind of filling the father Karis role, if you will, we have uh, British super ham, Richard Burton. Mm. Uh, in the process of divorcing Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor, Taylor for the second time, I believe. And apparently was drunk through a lot of the movie. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of a requirement if you're like a, if you're a British thespian from yeah. the, the, the latter half of the 20th century, right? Yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't learn this until, like, late in the movie, but he used a lot of cue cards, which okay. is something I like to look for. Okay. Because once you know it, like... For instance, I'm going to ruin every Casey Affleck movie, which I mean, he's already kind of ruined at this point. He uses cue cards because uh, my friend worked on Gone Baby Gone. Uh-huh. He at least used cue cards in that movie. I can't say with other ones. Um, and yeah, so if you, I watched that movie knowing that. Yeah. And he literally does look off. You can just see him looking off screen all the time. You can see him look off and then say his line and then look back to the person. I can see that in my head right now as you yeah. describe yeah. yeah, it's I like, mean, oh yeah, Casey Affleck's always looking all over the place. He's always looking over... And Brando did the same thing, which is probably how they justify it, but, mm-hmm. you know, Brando's Brando. You go think for a minute. Exactly. But you're really... <laughs> yeah, but you're really looking at the cue card. <laughs> it's like, hey, you're gonna pay millions of dollars. Fucking learn, learn your, your lines. Learn your goddamn lines. Your yeah. whole job is just to show up to, on set and go home and learn your lines when you're not there. Yeah, exactly. You do them in your trailer. Fuck you, people. Anyways... <laughs> Um, those are their two big new people. But anyways, Bursa doesn't want to come back. Uh, Linda Blair agrees to come back, but refuses to wear any demon makeup this time around. Right, right. This is too much of a fucking hassle the first time. So there's one sort of brief flashback where we see demonic Reagan, and that is a double. That is not, that was shot for this movie, but it's not, mm-hmm. um, Linda Blair. Max von Sydow came back, I assume for a lot of money. I assume. And he is barely in it. He appears only in flashback. And he's makes him, sense. himself. He's not made up to look old. Yeah. Anymore. He's young. Yeah, we got a little bit of a Christopher Lloyd Back to the Future 2 situation. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to, to Linda Blair's no makeup thing. But it actually it's funny because I was thinking about it. it. It works. It makes sense. It totally does. Because you're using him in flashback as a young man, and he is a younger man. So you actually don't need any of that makeup. Yeah, it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. And then it's very funny because it's like, I feel like they're like, we got Kitty Wynn back to play Sharon <laughs> yeah. Spencer. To which I say, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So they really, in the movie, they truly replace Ellen Burstyn with a psychiatrist mother figure. Yeah. And then the, what is she, a guardian caretaker, Sharon? Yeah, uh, in the story, I think Chris, uh, Ellen Burns, Burstyn's character, mm-hmm. is like shooting in Europe or something sure. like that. Sure, yeah, and they're in New York. And they're in New York. Yeah. So she's just conveniently absent the whole time. Can I just make two comments? Sure, Which please. I don't, I, uh... I just don't want to forget uh-huh. the balcony on this. Yeah, outside of their apartment is criminally designed. Oh yeah, and also mm-hmm. the office in which Reagan and uh, Doctor Tuscan. Yeah, Doctor Tuscan's office is insane. It's nuts. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like awesome. something from a fucking Cronenberg movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I just didn't want to. I don't. I didn't want to end the recording at in being no, like, no. fuck, I, never did, I didn't mention those two things. No, that's that's great. I think that's great. So, this movie, I mean, those sets are insane. Uh, and there are just, like, millions of dollars worth of miniatures on the screen. Uh-huh. Landscapes. Oh, yeah, like the all the Africa stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to blow... I feel like I want to save for the next portion. We talk about my favorite, perhaps... Uh, mechanic of this film so sure. I'm not going to go okay. there yet but I'm sure it was very about. expensive uh, despite the results all of this is to say at the time of its release this somehow became the most expensive movie that Warner Brothers ever made wow wow <laughs> yeah I mean parts of it do look incredible yeah the ultimate budget for this was 14 million dollars in 1976 wow which you know, in the face of something like Cleopatra, is is not much. I think that was a fifty million dollar movie. But ten, fifteen years what earlier, what ended up happening yeah. in this movie? That's an insane amount of money. Yeah. Oh, also wanted to mention one of the people who likes this movie, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese. Yes, yeah, Scorsese, 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 and Pauline Kale apparently yeah, really Pauline liked this Kale movie. Also liked it. Yeah. Yeah, she said it was better than the first one. Yeah, which is. <laughs> We'll get there. <laughs> yeah, Scorsese's a funny guy. His little caterpillar eyeball, uh, eyebrows. He's got some. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. Um, they had to completely rebuild the McNeil house. They couldn't shoot there, so that's mm. all reconstructed. Mm. Uh, which makes sense because it also has to then be deconstructed. Yeah. But yeah, it was funny because it's like I knew going into it that it was the most expensive movie ever made by Warner Brothers at the time, and I was like, yeah, it looks expensive. And then you get to the last 10 minutes, and you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's totally. <laughs> I could see where they maybe spent a quarter of the budget in the last 10 minutes of this movie. Um, another thing that's really weird is that... So, Borman seems to have, like, a right-hand man throughout the entire making of this. It's a guy named Rospo Pallenberg. <laughs> wow, that's a great name. R-O-S-P-O. Never heard it before in my life. And he's, like, Irish. <laughs> So, I don't know if that's an Irish name. Raspo. Raspo Pallenberg. But basically, Borman comes on, and even though he likes Goodhart's idea, he's like, well, we gotta rewrite the script. Because <laughs> that's what these fucking guys do when yes, they, they do. show yeah. up. They're yeah. just like, well, I gotta make it mine. Right. Um, so, he brings in Raspo Pallenberg to help him with an uncredited rewrite. Because Goodhart wouldn't do the rewrite. Um... And then on top of that, but the thing is, it's that they didn't do a rewrite and then go shoot. They just started shooting. And so 
Borman and Rospo Pallenberg are rewriting the script day to day as they are shooting a fourteen million dollar movie. Always a terrible thing that you like all of these fiascos. That's what you yes. hear. Yeah, and and a number of people, including Linda Blair, are also on record as saying Rospo Pallenberg was also an uncredited director. He did a significant portion of the directing on the movie. As what well. was Borman doing? That's not entirely clear. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's a book called The Making of Exorcist Two: The Heretic. I gotta get it. Well, here's the thing. I have a feeling it's not going to be as revealing. Okay, it's, as, not, it's not gonna be like Devil's Candy. Yeah, like and and bonfire and book. I'll tell you, there's two reasons why. One is because I'm pretty sure it was financed by the studio. Okay. Two. The author of The Making of Exorcist Two: The Heretic. Barbara Pallenberg. Oh, okay. All right. Never mind then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, an interesting. It's hard to get your hands on. It's pretty expensive. Uh, it's sixty bucks on Amazon. Um, but that reminds me of something, by the way, which we should talk about in our end segment. So, remind me, I have a thing for the end segment. Okay. That the book made me think of. Okay. Uh, I hope I remember. Okay, me too. But anyways, so it sounds like. The, sh- the production was an absolute shit show. It's just money. Good money after bad. Borman, um, clearly not there all the time. Apparently he contracted San Joaquin Valley fever, a respiratory fungal infection. Oh, God. At one point, they shut down production for a month. <laughs> um, lots of reshoots. Uh, the uh, deaths of thousands upon thousands of locusts. That were supposed to be used for shooting. Oh, yeah, I heard at one point they were trying to figure out how to do all the locust stuff, and um, they like cut the legs off of locusts. Oh, good. So they couldn't like land. I don't know. So they had to keep flying. So they had to keep flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! They ended up just using like styrofoam peanuts spray painted black. Yeah, I mean you can tell in the last scene. when Linda Blair has one stuck to her nose. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. And when they open the, when when yeah when uh, Burton opens the door and they all come flying out. Yeah. And, like, do they want me to think those are locusts? Because <laughs> they just look like black things. Uh, yeah, the editor quit halfway through. Um, Louise Fletcher and Kitty Wynn, Sharon Spencer, both got gallbladder infections. Jesus. Uh, Burton, drunk most of the time. Linda Blair, going through a fairly yeah, tough so time. She was on drugs a Yeah, lot of she time. was pretty high most of the time. Um, Linda Blair... Were you going to talk about her? Like, Yeah, we could talk about her. I think it's it's an interesting thing for us to talk about now, this far down the road. What do you want to say? And then I'll come in and I'll tell you. Just that even... I know that she went through a lot um, mm-hmm. and she grew up fast. Yeah. But I was reading her Wikipedia page and like she dated Rick Springfield when she was 15. Yeah, and he was 25. And it's like, ah, do we... Young what girl, a, get out of my mind. I mean, what a creep. <laughs> and he wrote about it in his biography. And he was like, I was her first lover and uh, teacher. And I was like, you're a fucking creep, dude. It seems like she ran through a lot of rock stars at the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, you know, for people of our generation who don't know much about Linda Blair, I think... Like, a kind of easy analogy would be, like, a Drew Barrymore type. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, She was the next generation where it's just like, yeah, you grow up as a child star, you grow up in Hollywood, and you just grow up really fast. Yeah. And and it can be... 
problematic. And certainly. she just never reached the heights of the first movie again. Yeah. I mean, she had a really... And, and I'll say, you know, it's tough because it's hard. Like, I don't want to presuppose... I, you know, I don't know Linda Blair. I don't know that much about her. So, you know, she certainly struggled at times with drug use. She also has had a pretty fruitful career and life. She's worked a lot. And she seems like a happy, well-adjusted person. Uh, and she worked a ton, and she had a really fun, in my mind, like, if we didn't know anything about her childhood, she had, like, a really fun career in the 80s. She was doing, like, a lot of exploitation yeah, stuff. Yeah, she had, like, Savage Streets and stuff. Yeah, and Caged Heat and yeah, all yeah, these yeah. things. Which are, like, and she's beautiful, too. Yeah. I think, like, she's, she's a mega babe in those movies. She became... Uh, basically a huge sex symbol yeah. she started she was in this movie called roller boogie in 79 where she played like a competitive skater mm-hmm. like a roller skater i should watch that and apparently it turned her into something of a sex symbol and that's when she sort of transitioned into like horror mm-hmm. and like kind of i mean exploitation to it's funny to talk about exploitation because it sounds innately bad but it's right, like right. i don't know they're fun movies it's that, kind of shit yeah. that i love i love those movies yeah exactly um and, you know, she does a lot of charity work now, and, you know, she dated Rick James. Yeah, that's uh, right. He wrote the song Cold-Blooded about her. Right. Because uh, apparently she broke his heart, uh, going so far as to she had a an abortion uh, that she did not tell him about until afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wrote a song about it, and it is called Cold-Blooded. Uh, he was apparently very in love with Linda Blair. Uh, and he said in an interview, I think once that she was the great love of his life and he had hoped it would work out and it did not. So, wow. When Rick James is like, I got my heart broke by that. (laughs) I got to watch that documentary about him. I heard he, I heard it's nuts. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. He had a wild time. He, I think we overlapped at the Oakwoods a little bit. Me and Rick. Oh, really? Yeah. OJ Simpson appeared at the Oakwoods when I was there. <laughs> the Oakwoods, for what uh, if you don't know, it's 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 like this furnished, short term apartments, uh, which our college used as dorms yeah. for our semesters in Los Angeles. Um, and now they don't, but it's also where a lot of like child actors live. Like mm-hmm. Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle hit me in the ass with a tennis ball once accidentally. <laughs> He apologized, yeah. but I used like, to see Garrett Morris all the time. Okay, you know, yeah, when I was there, but yeah, apparently uh, I didn't see it, but some of my friends of mine did. O.J. Simpson was just chilling by the pool, like <laughs> right after he was released from prison. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want a furnished apartment, you know? You just got yeah. out of the slammer. You don't want to go looking for yeah. couches. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, but anyways, Linda Blair seems healthy and happy these days. Worked a ton. She was definitely having a tough time at this point, though. She's 17 years old when they were shooting this. And, yeah, by all accounts, was under the influence of hard drugs most of the time she was on the set. Oh, man. She was arrested for cocaine possession the next year and had to do a bunch of uh, public service. Yeah, so anyways, uh, a troubled production, as people like to say. Um released uh pretty wide at one of the widest launches warner brothers ever had um did okay it made its money back okay it was more of a critical bomb than a box office bomb like i mean it didn't do anything close to what the original did but i mean they doubled the budget okay so it was a it was a modest financial success but it basically shut down the franchise for like a decade and 
he pulled Borman pulled it out of theaters and recut parts oh, of it. That's right. Yes, and I then, saw that. But I, I don't think <clears throat> the changes he made ever made it in, like to a theater. Mm. I think by that point, <clears throat> yeah, it was out and they the just, genie was out of the bottle. Yeah. I would love to see either... I don't know what version we saw, if it was the the original theatrical cut, right. or the cut with the changes. I assume it's probably just the original cut. Yeah. I would love to know what was changed. Yeah, I didn't, me too. I didn't like, investigate any further, yeah. though. Uh, the last big piece of the cast we didn't talk about, but you alluded to earlier, James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a very young James Earl Jones, obviously, 77. Uh does some work does some work <laughs> shows up shows up to be on camera yeah. um yeah man i don't know i you want to do you want to shut do you you want to talk about anything else pre-production before we actually talk about the nuts and bolts of this movie um let me see if i have anything in my notes i don't think so okay. oh <laughs> i wrote crazy that the editor is named tom Priestley on such a demonic movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Four years ago, the exorcist shocked the world. Now, the struggle between good and evil goes on. Exorcist 2, The Heretic. So that was a bit of Ennio Marconi's um, song. I don't know if that, that's not score. It's a song written for the film. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think appears in the movie. No, I would remember that. But it kind of rips. <laughs> it's also that. That was a trailer, but it's all visuals <laughs> over that song. All right. Philip Lamont, a priest struggling with his faith, attempts to exercise a possessed South American girl who claims to heal the sick. Is there any other kind of movie priest? No, they're always, yeah, they're always tempted by something. However, the exorcism goes wrong and a lit candle sets fire to the girl's dress, killing her. Afterwards, Lamont is assigned by the Cardinal to investigate the death of Father Lan- uh, Lancaster. Uh, sorry, Father Lancaster Marin, 
who had been killed four years earlier in the course of exercising the Assyrian demon Pazuzu from Regan McNeil. The Cardinal informs Lamont, who has had some experience at exorcism and has been exposed to Marin's teachings, that Marin is facing a posthumous heresy charge because of his controversial writings as church authorities are trying to modernize and do not want to acknowledge that Satan exists. Um, Reagan, although now seemingly normal and staying with her guardian Sharon Spencer in New York City, continues to be monitored at a psychiatric institute by Dr. Jean Tuscan. Reagan claims that she remembers nothing about her ordeal, ordeal in Washington, D.C., but Tuscan believes that her memories are repressed. Father Lamont visits the Institute, but his attempts to question Reagan about the circumstances of Father Marin's death are rebuffed by Tuscan, who believes that Lamont's approach would do Reagan more harm than good. In an attempt to plumb her memories of the exorcism, and specifically the circumstances in which Marin died, Dr. Tuscan hypnotizes the girl to whom she is linked by a synchronizer, a revolutionary biofeedback device used by two people to synchronize their brainwaves. After a guided tour by Sharon of the Georgetown house where the exorcism took place, Lamont returns to be coupled with Reagan by the synchronizer. The priest is spirited to the past by Pazuzu to observe Father Marin exercising a young boy, Kakumo, in Africa. Learning that the boy developed special powers to fight Pazuzu, who appeared as a swarm of locusts, Lamont journeys to Africa, defying his superior to help to seek help from the adult Kokomo. 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 Can I ask you a question? Yes. So this synopsis is very explicit <clears throat> about saying Pazuzu appears as a swarm of locusts. Yes. Did you, like, when you were watching the movie, I just kind of felt like it was like, oh, he brings locusts. Yes, I, I thought he also brings locusts. Okay, got it. Um, I just want to clarify that point. Uh, Marin asks Lamont to did I whatever where am I? Oh, okay, here. Next paragraph. Kakumo has become a scientist studying how to prevent locust swarms. Lamont learns that Pazuzu attacks people who have psychic healing ability. Reagan is able to reach telepath. <laughs> I can see you laughing over there. It's just such a crazy pivot. Okay, I know. Reagan is able to reach telepathically inside the minds of others. She uses this to help an autistic girl speak, for instance. Yes, yeah, right. I forgot about that scene. Father Marin, who belonged I'm, to a group I'm of... I'm aut- 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 autistic. <laughs> I'm withdrawn. <laughs> Father Marin, who belonged to a group of theologians that believed psychic powers were a spiritual gift which one day would be shared by all people, thought that people like Kakumo and Reagan were forerunners of this new type of humanity. In a vision, Marin asks Lamont to watch over Reagan. Lamont and Reagan return to the old house in Georgetown. The pair are followed by a taxi. Sorry. <laughs> the pair are followed in a taxi by Tuscan and Sharon, who are concerned. Tuscan Raiders is stuck in my head. Jesus Christ. Who are concerned about Reagan's safety. En route, Pazuzu tempts Lamont by offering him unlimited powers, appearing as a succubus who is a doppelganger of Reagan. The taxi crashes into the Georgetown house, killing the driver, but his passengers survive and enter the house, where Sharon sets herself on fire. I mean, that's not... Necess- that's not really, that's not what, really happens. what happens. She yeah. Just Sharon stands- gets out of the car. She's clearly possessed. Yeah. 
Uh, she stares at Tuscan for a while, and then she starts on fire. She she's standing in a pile, in a puddle of gas. Yeah, that ignites. Yeah, and they're both outside the house. Um, where yeah, although Lamont initially succumb succumbs to the succubus, <laughs> succumbs to the succubus. He is brought back by Reagan and attacks her doppelganger while a swarm of locusts deluge the house, which begins to crumble around them. However, Lamont manages to kill the doppelganger by beating open its chest and pulling out its heart. In the end, Reagan banishes the locusts and Pazuzu by enacting the same bull roarer ritual attempted by Kakumo to get rid of the locusts in Africa. Although he failed and was himself possessed. What a fucking sentence. I know. <laughs> Outside the house, Sharon dies from her industry. <laughs> this industry is killing us all. It is. I'm having a hard time with this. Outside the house, Sharon dies from her injuries, and Tuscan tells Lamont to watch over Reagan. Reagan and Lamont leave while Tuscan stays to answer police questions. Okay. What a climactic <coughs> ending. I know. Tuscan stays to answer <laughs> questions. police questions. That's really what happens, though. Uh, um, so I just want to put out there that we do have a classic case here of the Wikipedia writers clarifying a confusing yes, plot. Yes, yeah. There's, they are doing a lot of work for the plot of the movie. Yeah, there are a number of things that I that weren't totally new to me, but only came into focus upon reading this plot synopsis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think I even put together that Kakuma was the young boy. Oh, really? And also the older man. Oh, I got that. I knew that at least because the bull roar thing. Uh, yeah, the bull roar. <laughs> We were both stoned while watching yeah. this. Uh, we, we should say that. I had Well, I was stoned for the first hour. And, Same here, yeah. And then I turned it off for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Which we will go into shortly. And then I watched the second half last night, not stoned. Okay. Okay. Do you want to talk about your reactions, our reactions to this film? Who should go first? Um, it doesn't matter to me, friend. Okay. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Okay. Um, uh, you also sent me a t- message like two days ago when you're watching, <laughs> saying that I've written and erased so many <laughs> texts to you about this that it feels like a therapy exp- like a therapy exercise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like writing down my thoughts and then letting yeah. and like burning them on a what piece of like paper. What would you like to mail to your dad? You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. I think I'll say this. I'll start with something that could be perceived as uh, positive. Those reviews that I read at the beginning, I think, are pretty misguided. I don't think that most of what those some of the things that those critics had to say, I think, are on target. A lot of those things, I think, are way off base. To say that this is like the worst or dumbest movie ever made is a pretty crazy and baseless statement. Yeah. That being said, I think what happened was <laughs> that those people were so bewildered by this batshit insane, nearly incomprehensible film that they didn't know how to respond other than to say it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think that this is way too special of a movie mm-hmm. to be 
considered that truly terrible. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, we've talked about this many times before. I think I like to bring I bring it up like every other series, but the my my world of flops by the great film critic Nathan Rabin. Yeah, he would go back. He would review movies that flopped. This is a perfect example. He must have done this at some time, and he would give it one of three ratings. He would call it a failure, which is essentially what people had assessed it as. This is a movie that flopped. Right? It it, it failed. It is a bad movie. Secret Success. That was the positive rating that you could get. It flopped, but it shouldn't have. It was a good movie. And then the third and perhaps most exciting was Fiasco, mm-hmm. which is like, this is this movie is too much of a mess to be truly a failure. It's insane. This is the most Fiasco movie I have ever seen. <laughs> I think. I think. I cannot think of a movie that is more... There are there are there are thirty different angles from which I could attack this movie, yeah, and talk about how misguided it is, how much it doesn't work, but then also there are things that are very gripping, uh, very interesting, yeah. One of the things that I texted you and then deleted was, I have never been so simultaneously confused, excited, and bored out of my fucking mind by the same movie. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. Okay. And say that, without hyperbole, this might be one of the craziest movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) That's not... And I'm saying this, it's not like a David Lynch movie, where right. he was a director I love. I'm wearing a blue velvet shirt right now, where things like make kind of this dream logic yeah. sense. And it's all, you know, like, it all works. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most abrasive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, sonically abrasive, certainly. Sure. And also, as you said, boring. Right. Disjointed. Yeah. It's so, it takes these enormous swings and chances and completely fucking whiffs but in a way that's just like i could not i've been thinking about this movie every single day since i since i saw it yeah almost a week ago almost a week ago i can't get this fucking movie out of my brain it is like haunting me it's it's like a it's like a parasite inside of me. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think if I can if I can theorize here, it's like this movie is a special disaster. Yeah, in a way that that you can, like requires money. Yeah, this movie couldn't be nearly as interesting of a failure if it didn't cost so much money. Yeah, it would just be much worse and much more. Probably boring and less interesting to watch, but the money's there on the screen. It is. And, okay, thank you. That reminded me. The entire time I was watching this, I was just like, I cannot believe that this is the sequel to The Exorcist. Yeah, one of the most profitable and beloved and beloved horror, horror movies. movies of all time. Yeah. And how could this happen i can't understand like so this makes me feel like obviously the entire system of movie making is broken but how could this happen Well, so i have more thoughts on this so the money is part of it but here's another thing 
I think this can only happen in the 1970s. Sure, okay. Right? There is a climate in Hollywood where white male directors of a certain sort of artistic bent are being given... Carte blanche. Carte blanche, or at least an amount of leeway that they had never received before and would never receive again. Unless you're like, you know, the fucking... Unless you're the Coen brothers making a yeah, Netflix like movie or something. Yeah, like P.T. Anderson or something. Yeah, exactly. But Borman is a guy who's... I think he's done enough stuff, and he's established himself as a seemingly very thoughtful and somewhat cerebral guy. Yeah. That I think you're, if you're a studio, you just assume that this couldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. But like, were they seeing the dailies? That is a great question. I do want to know. But the other thing is, it's like you could look at dailies and you could look at all the footage from this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think you could create a story in your head where maybe it all made sense. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Is this a horror movie? That's one thing I wrote down. <laughs> no. It's not a horror movie. It's like this psychedelic yeah. trip of a movie. It is. There's it- nothing outwardly horrific, really, in it. And... I mean, does it feel to you like... There's some violence, I guess. Almost all of the uh, framework that attaches it to the first movie feels tacked on. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Like, it wants to have almost nothing to do with the first movie. Yeah. And then... But then is forced to, like, veer back to the location and some of the images of the first movie in the final 15 minutes. And also, apparently, they felt the need to stage an insane car crash and yeah, that an car explosion crash is insane yeah it looks awesome it does yeah <laughs> they just fucking crashed a car into a house let me all right I they, talk- the house by the way like poltergeist style like completely comes implodes apart. yeah yeah it's it's crazy looking yeah they, they, like you you said earlier like, oh, that's where a lot of the money went. Because <laughs> yeah. it looks good. It looks pretty good. Yeah, it's all practical. It's a house imploding. The house from the first movie. But they rebuilt the whole thing so they could tear it apart. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, Richard Burton is abysmal in this movie. He's terrible. He's terrible. Yeah. He's either doing way too much or nothing. Yeah, he's like half asleep half the time. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one fact where it cut a scene cuts to his silent face like 20 times or mm-hmm. something like that. Like he's not even reacting to anything. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, what else? There's they never like all of the things that they talk about in the plot. So let's <laughs> we never do this, but I want to try to take this plot, not take it apart. Let's try to put it back together a little bit. Okay. Because I'm, I'm looking at this, and it's like, okay, so what do we have going on? We have Lamont we're working with the church, right? To investigate. To investigate, I guess, the events of the first movie. Yeah. And somehow, there's this... Cr- so, and then, and then, so, and then, then concurrently... Excuse <coughs> me. We get introduced to Dr. Tuscan, who's a psychiatrist, with the craziest fucking office you've ever seen. The, all right, so in this office, there's multiple doctors. It's like a facility. It's yeah. all on one floor of, of an office building where everybody is in these, like, pentagon or, yeah. like, like, hexagonal, yeah, hexagonal it's like he- yeah. um, windows. 
everybody can see into everybody else's room. Yeah. I think unless you... At one point, There's Reagan's like, like sleeping glass in there. somewhere. Yeah. It's... I mean, it looks like... It looks like a... If you were ever in a mall in the 80s... Uh-huh. And you know where, like, like a really old clothing store in the mall where you would go stand in front of the mirrors. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And there's, like, mirrors there's reflecting. Like mirror. in, yeah. yeah, you're just seeing every... That's, like, what the whole office looks like. It looks cool, but it makes no sense. No sense. What they do there makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. What, yeah. Like, we're introduced to Reagan going to the psychiatrist, and apparently they've been talking about nothing. Uh-huh. And she's just been claiming that she's fine. For since things happened, but this psychiatrist is convinced she's repressed a bunch of memories. Yeah, but like we literally ended the first movie with Ellen Burstyn's character being like, "Thank God she doesn't remember anything." Yeah, and we pick up four years later, where that's still the status quo. But this psychiatrist is like, "No, we gotta, gotta get, get her, her to, out of her. We gotta get her to confront being possessed by a demon." And it's like, "Why? <laughs> what are you doing?" Um, and so in order to get these memories, yeah. they use the synchronizer, the synchronizer, which is like this dual hypnosis where you can see the other person's memories. Right. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense initially that if this doctor is going to be kind of a shithead and continue to try to dig this stuff up. Okay. So she does the synchronizing with Reagan, but then very soon afterwards, then they have the priest do it. Yeah, the with priest her? just jumps in and does it. Yeah, and, it's and like, then he's seeing Marin or like Merrick, Marin, Marin, Marin. I can never. Remember yeah, uh, he's seeing like what happened to Marin when Marin was a young man climbing yeah. this insane cliff. It's like so. Imagine like classic cliff climbing, like bouldering, right? Yeah, like a, almost a sheer cliff face. So it's like that, but it's like a contained space where there's two opposing cliff faces and there's like four feet in between. Yeah, them. so you can kind of like push against one yeah. side to, to not fall. And this is a location that Lamont ends up going to in real life in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And then also climbing. And it's like the craziest fucking cut ever. Because he's just like... Leaving, I forget what the scene is before, but it's just like, okay, I gotta go find this guy, Kakumo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next thing that's happening is him, yeah. he's wedged in between two cliff faces surrounded by Ethiopian natives. Yeah. And they're all climbing a mountainside. All of the Africa shit is just bananas. It looks terrible. But also, really. I mean, it's too strange to me to look terrible. Sure, yeah. Because it's all miniature. Yeah, right, right, right. And it's so it's like, it feels, it's just, I mean, it's just wild. Like, it doesn't look realistic at all. It doesn't look like a real place, but it's so lavish and expensive Yeah, how they built it that it's like, I couldn't help but be floored by it. But it's like a total failure of what it wants to do. I don't know. I feel like we're... we're all right, so... <sighs> what's his name? Lancaster? The, the old priest? original guy? Marin? No, Lamont? no. the priest? Lamont. Lamont. Lamont meets with Reagan, to, and he gets these visions from Africa. Yeah. And we see what we later learn is the child Kakumo. Yes. 
Who he's does doing this, this thing, thing yeah. where he's swinging like a a, a, a rope or it's almost like a bolo or like something a bolo like that. Bolo in the air to repel the yeah. locusts. And I guess it's called a bull roarer, and that is how he chases the locusts away, which also chases away Pazuzu. And then at one point he does that. And Marin is here for all of this, by the way. Right. For context. Right. Young Marin is here. So this is something that happened like 30 years ago or whatever. Right. Before even the events that we, where we meet Marin right. in the first movie. So it's actually, a, it's talked about in the first movie that he was in Africa and he performed an exorcism. Yeah, there. that's right. So in this flashback of Africa, Pazuzu then takes to the air and then flies through these fields across the Sahara. Yeah. And then arrives at this giant gated city. Yeah. Which is, I guess we're back at where we started. Because it goes through the the alleyways. People are running right. from Pazuzu. Right. And then it, it goes to a hut where an adult Kakumo. Yeah. James Earl Jones steps out and roars like, like a, a big cat. And we see a roar like of a lion or, sure. or like, a, yeah. like a cheetah or something. And and then repels Pazuzu, I guess. Okay. So <laughs> Lamont goes to Africa, has this like vision quest yeah. moment where and, he... And this happens after, apparently with all the fucking around that Tuscan and Lamont are doing, they've essentially re-fucked up Reagan. Yes. Yeah. Reagan, although she's not bad. She's good. Yeah. Like, Reagan... All right. So, <laughs> she saves the... Damn it. She's so she, fucking mad. She makes the autistic girl speak. She makes the, the autistic girl speak. So then when Lamont is in Africa, he he sees uh, Kakumo as this witch doctor who's dressed like a locust. He has, like, a locust headdress on. Yeah. And he makes, he makes uh, Lamont step through this, like, bloody pit with spikes yeah. coming up. Almost like punji sticks, but they're like smaller and and then there's like water or blood and it's yeah. like it feels a little bit like Indiana Jones and, and the Last Crusade where it's like some sort of test of faith. Yes. We have to walk across it. But it's just like these bloody these like sharp little sticks. Right. And then he steps on it. It looks terrifying. Horrifying. Horrifying. It impi- it just his foot just goes right through. Yeah. He screams, falls. You see three, four Sticks just impale his foot and come up through the top of his foot. Yeah. And I shuddered my whole body. Yeah. I went, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? And then he falls. And then he's in a lab with Kakuma, yeah. who is now dressed like a, a scientist. Yeah. And he's showing him these special locusts that he's breeding, which are the good locusts. They resist. Because if you don't know about locusts, they start out as normal grasshoppers. But if, if they get... Too overpopulated, they rub against each other and their wings rub together, and it causes this transformation yeah. that literally makes them molt, and then they become these hyper aggressive, destructive locusts. And so he is breeding a good locust that resists the rubbing of the wings. And that is Reagan. Right. It's a metaphor Reagan for Reagan. Exactly. Yeah. Um But it's like <laughs> So apparently the movie wants us to believe that Pazuzu... So this is the other great sin of this movie, that it basically just pisses away the whole first movie. Yes. So I guess the exorcism didn't work. Right. The devil's... Pazuzu is still in her. Is he, though? Isn't that... I think she's, like, the (laughs) anti-Pazuzu. I don't know. But then, like... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, then how does Lamont get possessed by Pazuzu? Yeah, Pazuzu possesses Lamont. Late in the movie. Late in the movie. Um, I'm looking at some of my notes. Because that happens during the synchronizer. You're right. Uh, okay, so my notes are the autistic girl in all caps. The nails! The plane! Oh, yeah. <laughs> the plane that, uh, that. Is Tus- that Ned Tuscan? Beatty? Yeah, Ned Beatty's in the. No, it's not even that plane. It's okay. the plane that they're flying to DC in. Uh, Ned Beatty's in it. Uh, Reagan tap dances. There's two tap dancing scenes. Oh, hold on. It, yeah, no, say what you want about the tap dancing, but I want something before we move on from tap dancing. Sure. Uh, in that Linda Blair actually had to learn how to tap dance for like like yeah. Borman made her learn and then she falls off the stage and has a seizure because I think she's being repossessed by Pazuzu. I think you're right yeah I think you're right okay I forgot, I forgot about Vincent that. Canby head film critic for the New York Times for over 30 years reviewed this movie in 1977 and this is how this fucking asshole decided to open his review of the movie <laughs> I quote Linda Blair may be the least fleet-footed actress Hollywood has produced (laughs) since the incomparable Joan Crawford attempted to keep up with Fred Astaire in Dancing Lady. Seen tap dancing, as she is on two occasions in Exorcist II, The Heretic, the chubby-kneed Miss Blair appears to be stomping on live cigar stubs. The rest of the movie is even heavier and more lugubrious. What a fucking insane way to start your review. He's like, and it's a terrible review. It's a pan of the movie. But he was like, before I go in on this movie. Linda Blair sucks at tap dancing. Yeah. Her <laughs> legs are not thin enough for dancing. <sighs> Fuck you. I hope you are burning in hell, Vincent Canby. Le- Lamont beat, tries to put out a fire with a crutch. That's right. He beats a fire with a wooden crutch. Uh, yeah. Okay, what are the other craziest things that happen in this movie? Okay, the thing that I wanted to talk about that I held off until this is what I like to refer to as the locust cam. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there are multiple sequences in this movie where our POV is fixed on a single locust. On the back of a locust. That is enormous. And also the front, too. Yeah. An enormous locust yeah. that doesn't really look like a real locust at all. It kind of looks like a cross between a bird and a honeybee. Yeah, yeah. That's, this is the scene I showed Jess, too. Okay. Like the, There's like four of them. <laughs> yeah, it was the one where James Old Jones roars. Yeah. And so I guess... And this is the thing, is it's like, if this was shot today... It would make tons of sense because it's essentially like rear project. It's you clearly they've rear projected aerial footage of flying, and then in front you have this fake locust flapping its wings, and the camera's fixed on that. But the thing is, they didn't shoot this shit with a drone, so right. it's like, I guess they're helicopter shots. Yeah, I think so. Must be. But then some of it is the miniatures, and then I'm like. So what is that? Are they just flying a camera on a crane over miniatures? Oh, maybe, yeah. Because um, the whole city that Kakumo is in, like the very spooky-looking city where <laughs> where uh, Pazuzu the Locust flies to, which, by the way, one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is when Lamont is in the plane with Ned Beatty. Yeah. And he's like, I've flown over this before. And Ned Beatty's like, 
in a plane? <laughs> and he's like, no, on the back of a demon. <laughs> Except he's way ahead. No, on the back of a demon. demon. And then he goes to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Which he probably just did in real life. Yeah. Um, the Locust Cam is, is insane. It's crazy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing when it was happening. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> what else? The balcony? So, Reagan, uh, Linda Blair, there's a scene where Linda Blair is, like, hypnotized from her dream. She yeah. sleepwalks out. She's on, they're on, like, a penthouse apartment. She walks on the, the balcony. In the balcony, there's a railing, but it's, like, every five feet, there's just open space. Yeah. And which it's I was saying glass is rail. Crimin- yeah. criminal. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, and again, this is one of those things. I don't know how much to believe it, but they're like, oh, yeah, there wasn't a stunt person. They just yeah, had her stick her feet over the over edge. There. Yeah. Which I like it may heights like that make my ass tingle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate heights. Uh, that's it was scaring me. Uh-huh. Um, what else? Let yeah. Me look at my notes. OK, so let's like we're breathless. here. <laughs> well, because you could just spend forever talking about the insane things that happened in this movie. So like. Some of the sets are incredible. Like, all of the synchronizer stuff is incredible to look at. It's like, they do all this lighting and sound shit, and they, like, the sound, it, like, starts at a pitch, and you have to match the other person's pitch. So they're, like, bringing the tempo of this, like, throbbing, and, like, the tone of it comes down, and the light comes down. Yeah, and it's very nuts, and it happens in that insane office. Uh, I mean, so it's all this crazy, like, future tech, basically, uh-huh. which 70s future tech is the best kind. It's great. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk much about any Morricone, but the score is nuts. There's all sorts of, like, wailing. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I tried to find clips of that, and I could not. But, like, I think the, even the first, the credits of the movie are, like, people screaming and yeah. wailing. Yeah. And, like, chanting, it's, like, a cross between, like, African chants and screaming and, like, ah, right. ah, and it goes on four minutes at a time, at, <laughs> like, at 11. Like, it's so loud. Right. One of the other things that makes this movie so strange are, like, the vestiges of that original Goodhart plot or script, whatever it might have been, but all of this, like trying to do this sort of mystical but also very like grounded uh kind of rational religion versus psychiatry and it like uh-huh. it wants to in fits and spurts be this incredibly cerebral film it just fails so miserably but it's like it's so much weirder for trying yes exactly man this is, like I said, I can't get it out of my head. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm rubbing my face. I'm like, this is bad <laughs> podcasting. I'm covering the microphone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I respect it in that it's clearly like a fuck you to anybody who was like, can we just get a rote sequel to The Exorcist? Yeah. Like, they certainly succeeded in that respect where they were like, well, if I'm going to make an Exorcist sequel, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> What did, what did you think about Louise Fletcher as as Doctor Lester? Fine, she's fine. Yeah, like she's, she's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. She's not doing much. How did you feel about Linda Blair? 
Uh, definitely a step down from the first movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she's like, she's, she has an interesting face. She's like fun she's to very watch. Chubby cheeks. She's like chubby. Yeah. yeah, she's like cherubic. Yeah. Um, and like innocent, ironically, considering yeah. her mm-hmm. lifestyle at the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, she's fine. What, what did you think of her? Yeah, I mean, I think she does an okay job. It's just like who knows what's directing and what's acting, but yeah. she's very compelling. I had a hard time ignoring her on screen. Yes, yes. Um, but she also gets kind of she gets very sidelined by this movie. It does. Yeah, there's point like large stretches where she's either like. You know, in bed, which mm-hmm. I guess she is in the first movie, but she's doing something. Yeah, she's busy in bed. Um, uh, and then it's just like, or you're with Richard Burton. And then that whole sec- segment where they're on the train. They're they're heading to D.C. on the train. And Louise Yeah, Fletcher Reagan and Lamont are on the train. And Sharon. Sharon or Kitty? What's her name? Sharon. Sharon and Dr. Luskin are on a plane. That almost crashes. It looks crazy, too. It's like yeah. a miniature mm-hmm. in these fake clouds. Yeah. It looks like airplane. They also, the train beats the plane to DC. I mean, I think they had a head start. I guess so. You know. Oh, then there's also the fucking thing. Oh, my God. I forgot about this. While they're rushing to the apartment or the house from the first movie in the taxi, there's an accident on the freeway. Or on the on the highway and and then oh, yeah. there's like a whole guy like is there a doctor and then like Louise Fletcher is like I'm a doctor and like gets out and helps him yeah and then Sharon's mad at her yeah and it's, it's so fucking weird it's just the most needless diversion imaginable yeah I mean it would make sense if like oh we're rushing to the house there's an accident we're stuck in traffic but it's like no she's actively choosing to delay their arrival yeah it's so weird um. The ending, we should talk about a little bit more. Yeah. So it's like, I really do feel like, you know, this movie predates Poltergeist by six, seven years almost, I think. And I honestly do feel like the ending of Poltergeist kind of owes a little bit of a debt yeah, it does. to the ending of this movie. It does. Like, the house is crumbling and cracking and breaking There's apart. all this, like, kind of ghastly insanity happening things are flying everywhere the lighting people screaming there's wind Wind blowing whipping around yeah and and there is i mean i think one of in a in a movie full of of sporadically full of compelling images like there's a long-ish shot of reagan's bedroom essentially cracking in two and the bed starts to slide into a chasm and it's like it's really nuts to watch it's like i mean it's all practical yeah. It's like it's a full size bed on a collapsing floor that was built and it's and there in and, and it, it just you know and then the house like there's the explosion outside and Sharon burns to death. Yeah, Sharon and, burning to death looks kinda cool and it's a callback to the opening of the movie, which is also a really wild, crazy yeah, scene. Yeah. It's just I mean, it's such a wild freak out movie that it's not. Should Sorry, we go? Let's. Point. Should we get to the end? Should we? I. I, I was about to like veer into my like, like final. final yeah, let's get to the end. Okay. Um. So as far as body counts go, we get the woman at the beginning who uh, burns to death. Um. The the guy a guy they're hauling up the cliff in Ethiopia who falls to his death. 
uh, for an incredible amount of screen time. Yeah. He, fa- he falls and he falls <laughs> and he falls and he bounces around and he falls some more and gets wedged in between yeah. like a cliff face. Uh-huh. The cab driver. <laughs> oh, so just before I forget, also, the Locust Cam stuff clearly ripped off by Sam Raimi for The Evil Dead. Oh, yeah, I guess it does predate it, yeah. Like, there's a bunch of, like, Pazuzu vision in this yeah, movie. Yeah, and, like, people running from Pazuzu. Yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, this is Sam Raimi's patented shaky cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From good, the Evil Dead movies. Good call. Um, Sharon by fire, and then uh, Pazuzu Reagan gets her heart ripped out. Oh, it looks terrible. Yeah. It looks like a little, you can't even tell it's supposed to be a heart. It looks like a child's toy. So, again, a, a small body count, but what was your favorite death? The t- foot thing. It's not a death. I don't it's care. It's not a okay, The yeah. foot thing. I think the woman burning alive at the beginning is also really crazy. It is nuts, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. But, yeah, there's not there's not really... This isn't a movie about kills. Sure. Um, things that didn't age well. Like, a full third of this movie is devoted... To the general sort of conceit of like the mystical dark east, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. just like well, the devil is still alive in Africa, yeah, sure. And it's none of it is too bad. It's more of like a it's it's more of like the larger sort of cultural colonial colonialist thing than any explicit like racism directed at a character or a person. I mean, there's a very tone-deaf scene where a bunch of villagers try to stone Lamont to death. Cause, yes, because he... Because um, they think he's a heretic, yeah, right? Yeah. Isn't that, I think that's sort of maybe supposed to be, like, where the title where comes from. Where heretic comes from, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it's, like, it's, not, it's certainly not the worst thing we've seen, but it's a very clumsy handling of, like, of, like, sort of east of mysticism of like the dark continent you know yeah i don't know did you have anything no i didn't have anything in in addition to that other than like the uh 70s understanding of what autism is oh god like the autistic girl basically just stutters says i'm i'm withdrawn yeah she says that (laughs) that scene is fucking crazy uh, Everything's crazy in this movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, John Carpenter fear meter. I mean, there's like what, fucking three, two. I don't it's, know. It depends on what. If you're on drugs. Sure. We I were, bet it's terrifying. We were on drugs for part yeah, of Yeah, not it. weed, though. That doesn't count. Yeah. Um, the, 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 <sighs> the spike through the foot thing is pretty freaky. Yeah, I'm that trying to think if there's anything out. else that actually scared me. It's crazy. It's a nine on the John Carpenter freakout meter. Yes. But on the fear meter, yeah, probably a three or a four. It's not scary. It's, this is barely a horror movie. Yeah, three. I'll say three's fine. And then finally, Mary Fuck Kill. Um, do you want to go first? You want sure, me to I'll go first. Okay. Okay. I was in the middle of it anyways. Yeah. It's such a singularly crazy movie that I think it's lazy to just say it's terrible. I mean, it is, but it is terrible. Yeah. It is incomprehensible, incoherent, bad performances, just truly one of the most catastrophic scripts I've seen committed to film. It's too nuts 
to hate. Yeah. To fuck. Because cause to say that this... Like, everyone should see this movie. I think everyone mm-hmm. listening to this podcast, like, if you've listened to all of this, get fucked up and watch this movie. It, it's... I can't I can't give it a kill because it's like, well, I don't want it to... I don't want people to ignore it. I want everyone to stare it in the eye. Yeah. Uh, I'm right there with you, man. Like, it is so, so off-putting and <laughs> wild and baffling that, like, it is fascinating. Yeah. Also, one thing that I didn't really mention other than at the top, be forewarned, I also fell asleep <laughs> Sure. the first night I tried to watch it, and I was bored, truly profoundly bored for like long stretches of this crazy movie. Yeah. It it looks cool. It, it is a very visually striking movie. It sounds like the craziest freak out you've ever heard. Uh, excuse me. I'm also going to give it a fuck. Like it, it is too it's too crazy to just dismiss. Yeah. It's 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 not terrible in the way that people have led you to believe right it is terrible mm-hmm. but it's like it's it's a really interesting interesting failure yeah um like kind of a once in a lifetime i think there you mentioned this to me off air mm-hmm. that there seems to be this grounds a little bit of a groundswell now of people trying to reevaluate this as maybe like in the in the way like halloween 3 is now mm-hmm. celebrated yeah I don't think it deserves that. No, this is not a Halloween three. Halloween three is very enjoyable. I can't. I can't say this is enjoyable. No, but it is fascinating. It is. Um. So I like I said at the top, you should watch this movie. You yeah. really should. Do you know what it reminds me of? Totally different genre. It's like Hudson Hawk. Yeah, it is kind of like Hudson Hawk or like House of D. Did you ever see that movie? No, the I David Duchovny directed movie. No, it's fucking crazy. It is so weird and bad. That it's like we were laughing the entire uh, time we were watching it. Okay, it's one of those. It's like you can't believe what you're seeing. Does the D stand for David or Duchovny? <laughs> stands for his dick, his donkey dick. Oh, finish what you want to say, but I have one more thing to say about this movie before we transition out. Um, no, I, I mean that I don't have much more other than like that alone warrants that you should probably, if you have any interest in film as an art form. You kind of need to see something like this. <laughs> Just to see what can go wrong. Yeah. And, and yeah. All right. I'm done. I'm okay. Done. I'm looking to see if I can find an image online. Uh, I don't see one in a quick search. So I'm hoping that you were paying enough attention to have caught this also. <laughs> but I was going to say perhaps the craziest thing in this movie full of batshit insanity is learning that apparently the exorcist 2 takes place in the same universe as the ginger dead man <laughs> what <laughs> did you see him he's in the movie <laughs> the ginger dead man is in the movie so when they're in africa somebody bakes oh yes a yes, yes. red man you're right you're right yeah, yeah yeah and it looks exactly like the ginger dead yeah, man i forgot about that yeah he does <laughs> like they gift it to lamont right? yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i tried to find a picture i couldn't I can't show you guys. We can't put it on the Twitter. You just have to watch the movie. Be on the lookout for what was his name? What's the the killer's <laughs> oh, name? Oh, it's uh Oh, this is a, almost exactly a year ago that we were watching yeah, this you're movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I can't 
believe we watched that series because we thought it was a Christmas series. It's the only series we've ever bailed on. Yeah. Uh, Millard Findelmeyer. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, we got a special uh, end segment to make this medicine go down easy. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm fucking saying Stick anymore. with us. The Exorcist 2, it was literally laughed off the screen. It opened on June 17th, 1977 in 700 theaters, and on June 18th, the director, John Borman, said he was changing the last scene and they were going to pull it out of the theaters and put out a new version. And on June 27th, they completed the new version. They tested it in a theater in the Westwood area of L.A., and the audience did not laugh at it, and they considered that a victory. So they kept talking about re-releasing it in the new version, but... It was too late, so the only people who saw the new version were the people in Europe and Japan. There are actually three different versions of the movie, but the one we're showing is the original theatrical release in all its awfulness, in keeping with our policy of only showing the original theatrical release. Now, what's interesting is that about two months after it came out, there was this whole big backlash by people claiming it was actually a misunderstood masterpiece, and so people started going to it as a form of reverse snobbery. So, and hey, I love John Borman myself, but any man who made Zardoz will always be a master in my book. But look, we're 35 minutes into the movie, and I'm already totally confused. Okay, we're back. Hey, we haven't done this segment in a long time. It's been, it's been ages. We reserve it for when we're doing a sequel that has a very special part. And we're talking about the colon. <laughs> That's right. Perhaps <laughs> the best part. <laughs> um, Mike, I, I said, hey, make sure to get your colon exam uh, to remind Mike. And he sent me a picture of a colonoscopy, which I assumed was his. Because I forgot that I even said that in the first place. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Looks good. <laughs> Is that you? <laughs> and I said, no, my colon looked much worse than that the last time I had a colonoscopy. Ugh. But they fixed it. Surgery. Did you guys know that? I had colon surgery. He did, yeah. I had, a, I had a third of my colon removed. That's true. You had uh, diverticulitis. That's right. For the second time in your life? Or third? I mean, it was I mean, the second. I had diverticulitis like four times in six months, which is why I had to have surgery. Ugh. But it was, yeah, it happened once when I was like 25, and then it went away for 10 years, and I came back. What a bummer. Yeah. Uh, literally. <laughs> what is a colon exam, Mike? Uh, well, here at Killstreak. Yeah. Colon exam is one of our favorite segments where Eric and I, we split up the alphabet. I take A, C, E, so on and so forth. Eric does B, D, F. Big dick energy. B, D, E. Funergy. <laughs> Big dick fantasy. That's Ooh. Eric's Google search. Um, so, uh, anyways, we split up the alphabet and then we take real movies like Exorcist 2, colon, the heretic and then we write a little fake colon so after basically colons. after the colon so it's like i if we were playing the game with this movie i'd say eric the second film in the exorcist trilogy is it called exorcist 2 the heretic or exorcist 2 my hairy dick uh, <laughs> I, and I would, of course, say, my hairy dick. Yeah, because he's a sucker for that kind of thing. <laughs> it's all part of his big dick fan. His beautiful, big, <laughs> dark, <laughs> twisted fantasy. <laughs> um, yeah, so, 
uh that's kind of how we do it so we we each do per episode we, you did three i did three right i did three yeah. that's the I have a tiebreaker too okay great um yeah and we keep track of points and whoever wins at the end uh has to suck the other one off what (laughs) again this is rocketing past euphemisms (laughs) into just like what's the most literal thing why say why dance around it you know that's that's my opinion that's fair all right uh i'm gonna go first i got my first movie for you okay this is uh one of the lost boys movies i've only ever seen the first lost boys okay have you seen any of the others no we talked about doing them once we did. I'm sure we'll get to it at some point. Which one of this is the re- which one of these is the real Lost Brothers film? Is it Lost Brothers? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Lost Boys, The Thirst, colon The Thirst, uh-huh. or Lost Boys, colon Blood Oath. Fuck. <sighs> See, so so for those of you who are, this is your first colon exam. Eric's just throwing a heater. He's throwing a fastball right down the middle right now. He's just trying to get past me with his best heat. Oh. There's nothing fancy here. There's nothing too funny. Nothing too funny. It's just two things that sound a lot alike. So my my biggest uh, sin with uh-huh. in the past with colon exams is that I get too clever for for uh, it, it's like oh, so you're dialing in your strategy. I this am time. dialing in my okay. strategy a bit. So it's the thirst or the blood or blood oath. Yes. Fucking hell. I don't know. Some voice in the back of my head says... I'm going to go with Thirst. Thirst. Well, Mike, yeah. sorry to say, for me, that you're right. <laughs> I don't want to host a podcast with you anymore. <laughs> you are correct. The real movie is Lost Boys, The Thirst. Yeah, it's tough because... It's very much like, it's a lot like Rock, Paper, Scissors, where it's like, well, obviously, this is the better title. But then it's like, they often write bad titles. So, like, yeah. what would Eric try to get me to? And it's like, so I just, I, Blood, st- it smelled a little bit too much. Too like, clever? Not too clever, just like a little bit. For some reason, it felt like it came out of your brain. I okay. I don't know why. I mean, I'm, I'm just very good at, okay. I'm, I'm a very smart man. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So, um, my first one, uh, I thought I would go with something somewhat contemporary. There's also a couple of mine have fun real life tie-ins. Okay. So we talked about this, I think on the podcast, (laughs) we definitely talked about it in real life. The the first time I went to our lovely local video store, Videotech, they accidentally rented me four movies that I didn't want. (laughs) That's right. One of them was the fifth and most recent installment in the Underworld series. Eric, what is the name of this film? Is it Underworld, colon, Blood Wars? Or Underworld, colon, Dark Paradise? I'm going to go with Blood Wars. Okay, can I? Is there any particular reason? I'm just curious. Um, I mean, I know it is about vampires fighting werewolves. <laughs> it, oh, now you're making me doubt myself. No, I just wanted to know. It's that, I mean, it's just like that one seems. Neither of them rang a bell in uh-huh. my head. Okay, but Blood Wars seemed like okay. Yeah, I guess it is. 
yeah a war in and there's blood, blood. yeah there's blood yeah yeah sure and vampires drink blood yeah it makes a lot of sense okay so you feel pretty confident about it i mean no but <laughs> that's my choice <laughs> well it's correct it is oh, underworld okay. blood wars Phew. i fought with myself for a while dark paradise was a kind of i ended up settling i, I wanted to go in a, in a milton direction uh-huh. You know, with Underworld and, uh, you know, the levels of hell, Ser- you know, Paradise Lost, all that kind of thing. Anyways, I didn't quite get there. Um, Eric's very engaged in this conversation. Right I'm now. just changing something really quick. Yeah. Why don't you change your attitude? How about that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's one to one. Okay. Next up is a, well, I mean, you like the first two Hellraiser movies. I don't know how you feel about the rest of them for you and seeing the rest of them. I've seen one for sure. I mean, one more. The third one. Okay. What about Hellraiser 7? <laughs> sure haven't seen it. So we have Hellraiser 7 colon Painbringer. Okay. Or Hellraiser 7 colon Deader. Deader? <laughs> <sighs> Fucking hell. So this is just such a class... Ugh. God. <laughs> it shouldn't be deader. Uh-huh. But I think that you think that I would hear deader <laughs> and I would go <laughs> and I would go it can't possibly be deader. But Deader's- it is deader and that's how you think you're going to get me. And so the answer is actually painbringer. <laughs> But it's very possible you went one step beyond that. I'm going to go with Painbringer because it shouldn't be deader, even if it is. Well, Mike, I agree with you that it should not be deader, but unfortunately for you, it is. (laughs) Hellraiser. Hellraiser 7. Deader. Deader. (laughs) I got scared because I'm like, deader is so bad. You must, yeah, I must have heard of that before, but no, no, no luck. Okay. Well, it's, uh... Still one-to-one. Eric, here's your shot to take the lead. Uh, <laughs> it, there is a sequel. No, it's one-to-two. Oh, no, no, one-to-one. Yes, yeah, sorry, Because I just failed to, yes, get, yes, 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 yes. to get a point. Okay. So, in the year 2000. <laughs> in the year... Uh, Full Moon Pictures, our favorite. Sure. The first place you gotta go when you're running out of colon names. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, released what they refer to as the hit movie, Killjoy. Okay. Have you heard of it? I have. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Okay. It uh, focuses an American-Chinese slasher film that focuses on the titular Killjoy, a demonic clown summoned to assist in revenge plots. (laughs) In revenge? Yeah, in revenge plots. That's right. Uh, As of today, there are five killjoy movies jesus but i just want to talk about the second one okay 2002's killjoy 2 excuse me eric is the title of this film killjoy 2 colon fear hunter okay or killjoy 2 colon deliverance from evil again your options are fear hunter or Deliverance from evil. Uh, hold on. Let me look at my list. Hey. <laughs> no looking at the iPad. 
You'll see why in a second. Um, Did you fuck up your letters again? No. no okay. No, 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 no. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Deliverance from Evil. Deliverance from Evil. Deliverance from Evil. Yeah. Or Fear Hunter. No, 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 no. Fear Hunter. Fear Hunter. I'm going to go with Fear Hunter. Yeah. Okay. Are you sure? Uh, I mean, yes. I guess. <laughs> okay. Well... It's a John Borman episode. Uh-huh. Should have gone with the John Borman movie. Damn it. Deliverance from Evil. Fuck. Did you get what I did there, though, with Fear Hunter? Uh, no. Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. <laughs> it's like 70s drama. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, yeah, sure, anyway, sure, sure. Trying to, trying to keep things fun here. Very good. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. All oh, right. It's still it. one to one. Um, I've only ever seen two of these movies, the Prom Night series. Ooh. Apparently there's four. Okay. And we're talking about the fourth one. Good, because I know the name of the second one, but I feel like a lot of people Yeah. Do. Prom Night 4, is it colon, Dangerous Mind, or Prom Night 4, colon, Deliver Us From Evil? <laughs> um... I mean, it'd be pretty funny if it was Dangerous Mind and the movie was like a knockoff of Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. I think that's what went through your head when you wrote that subtitle. So I'm going to go with Deliver Us from Evil. Uh, you are exactly right. <laughs> that is what went through my head when I wrote that. You're right. Deliver Us from Evil. Okay. I take a two to one lead. Uh-oh. All right, Eric. Are you ready for your last one? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> the year 2001 saw the release of a terrifying film called Cats and Dogs. <laughs> what? It's <laughs> a look at the top secret high-tech espionage war going on between Wait, cats what? and Wait, this isn't a horror movie? <laughs> There are two sequels to Cats and Dogs, Eric. What? <laughs> Just go with it. All right. <laughs> Is the third movie in the Cats and Dogs series called Cats and Dogs Paws Unite? <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> or is the film called It's Raining? Dot, dot, dot. Cats and Dogs. <sighs> oh, God. I'm going to go with Cats and Dogs Deliver Us from Evil. <laughs> um. Pause, pause unite is uh, what I'm going to go with. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> the, it's raining, dot, 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 cats and dogs. It's just too clever by half. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I would have given you another one if you had gotten it wrong, because I'm not going to let you go out on a non-horror movie. Well, we're tied. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, how should we do this? Well, you wrote it, right? Yep. So you give it to me. If I get it, I win. If I don't get it, you win, right? Okay. This one uh, goes... Uh, it's a little bit off the beaten path here. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry on the horror movie boss franchise. Baby? <laughs> it's Boss Baby. <laughs> um, it's an anime. Okay. A horror anime, Blood, The Last Vampire. Okay. Have you ever seen? I, I saw it a long, long time. No. No, I haven't. Um... So is it Blood the Last Vampire, Blood Sea? I guess at some point it branches off into Blood Sea. 
S-E-A or C. letter C? No, letter C. Okay. Blood C colon fight for eternity or blood C colon another story. <laughs> I mean, this is real fucking just throw a dart at a wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to flip a coin. <laughs> uh, coin flip online. We're going to go with heads. The first one. Uh, uh, for fight for eternity yeah i'm sorry mike that is incorrect the the correct is blood sea another story gripping stuff yeah really good stuff what a way for us to end the colon exam well always a blast although we are going to run out of movies at some point yeah i mean that's part of why we slowed down on the pace of these we want to yeah. we want to be able to keep doing it um but yeah i think that one worked out pretty well Okay, guys, um, if you want to write to us, please let us know your thoughts oh. on Exorcist. Oh, too. wait. One more thing. Oh, the sure. thing I wanted to shout out. No, yes. keep, keep, doing, keep doing the, um, the plugs, and, and I'm going to grab this real fast. Okay. Uh, you can uh, write to us if you want to email. It's at uh, killstreetpod at gmail.com. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Mike's legs are probably asleep. Uh, <laughs> they definitely are asleep. Um, and uh, you can reach us at Twitter at killstreetpod, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can see the great work Scott Jennings has been doing over there on Instagram and Twitter. Um, leave us a voicemail. Follow the directions in the show notes. You can leave us a voicemail. We love it. Um, next week, we're going to be doing Exorcist 3. The Exorcist 3. Sorry, The Exorcist 3. Wait, my phone. This one is directed by the author of The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty. And if uh-huh. I if I'm not mistaken, I think it is on one of the major streamers right now. It is on Netflix. Beautiful. Also, Tubi. <laughs> it's on free. Netflix and Peacock, uh, depending on what Ooh, you got. Got it on the cock. <laughs> I know that Joe Bob did. I don't. I'm not seeing Shutter on here, but I know Joe Joe Bob did a. Um, an episode on it, so I might yeah. try to seek that one out. I would say that this is maybe one. Don't? Don't. Okay. I mean, do after you watch it. Sure, okay. But, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'll just say that it's certainly... The, they're trying to course correct from Exorcist 2. Okay. So it is a horror movie that I think they... That William Peter Blatty would like you to take somewhat serious. Okay. I'll watch it Unbroken, then. Yeah. Um, so the, the last thing I wanted to say before we finish up, we received a gift. Oh. Uh, and it is from friend of the podcast and good friend of mine, Mitch... Uh, he had it sent to us from a half price books in, in, in Tennessee, apparently. Mm. It's called The Science Fiction Hall of Fame. Oh. Volume 2A, The Greatest Science Fiction Novellas of All Time. Do you want to guess what's in here and why um, he sent it to the, us? What, what's it called? What's, what's, who's that? Who no. goes there? Who goes there? Yes. So this contains the novella that we talked about at the end of last week. Who Goes There by John Campbell. Amazing. The basis for The Thing from Outer Space and ultimately John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, thank you, Mitch. I really appreciate so that. So we can both take turns reading it. Yeah, that's great. That's yeah. really great because I was trying to seek it out and it's surprisingly hard to find for and an now, affordable price. Now we have a physical copy in our hands. So Hell yeah. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Much appreciated. Although I have to say... 
I'm still a little bit upset about the two-star rating you gave Clueless on Letterboxd this week. So. <laughs> Somebody gave us a two-star rating, too. Hey, at least they rated, <laughs> least they rated us. us. Yeah, yeah, I was looking through our, our reviews. Uh, I think Did they all have of any actionable star. feedback for us? No, they didn't write a review. They just gave us the stars. Well, what are you supposed to do tell. with that? I know. You, know. you want us to be better, you got to tell us how. Uh, yeah, anyways, rate and review us on podcasts. I mean, Apple Podcasts, and maybe leave us three stars or more. Um, and as always, Father, do priests believe in ESP? <laughs> <laughs>